Sarah, I did one of my most hated chores, but with the highest impact this morning. Tell me. I washed a few windows. Whoa. Now, I, I've got to tell you, this is always one of those things where I'm like, God fucking damn it. Like, And then I wash a couple windows, and I'm like, boy, that is a real high-value housekeeping activity. It is. And you know what? I bet you feel very, like, accomplished afterward. I don't window wash for hours. I washed three windows and felt okay about myself. And then I'll do more later. That's how I, that's how I roll. Well, you did great. Thank you. Now I can read romance novels for the rest of the day. <laughs> I... I have not done anything so productive today. I took the dog out for a walk, and then I read this good book uh, until it was time for us to record. So I have to say this. I'm not going to name this other book that I'm going to talk about, but I got really excited, and I downloaded this book that somebody recommended to me the other day because it was a trope that I really like mm. and one that we've covered on the podcast before. Yes. And I got, like, a third of the way through, and I was really bummed. It just didn't work for me on multiple levels, and I felt like it didn't, like, hit any of the promise of the trope that I want, like, all the kink of the trope that I want. I mean, now I'm really speaking in obscure terms. Yes. So I don't want, I'm not going to get too deep into it, but there's something really disappointing about buying a book based exclusively on the trope that you love. Right. And then having the book just not deliver on any of the, like, joyful, right. like, sticky bits of that trope. I, one of the reasons I love interstitials, and I know our listeners do too, is not just because I'm like, okay, if you love this trope, here's a bunch of books like this, but also to really think about why a trope works or what a trope is doing. It's really fun. It's really fun. Yeah. So you can text me the name of that book. I will. I will. And I <laughs> yeah. think that... But, I, yeah, I think that's the thing. I think also being, um, uh, doing Faded Mates has made me yeah right more thoughtful about what I want. Yeah. To your point. I think the other thing, though, is reading is so hard right now. I've gotten better at it. As you know, last year I had a really rough time. Yeah. Um, and now it feels like coming out on the other side. I get my second shot today. Yay. So it feels like in the last couple of weeks, I've really been powering through a lot. You kind of hit your stride. I did. And now I'm reading, I've been reading a lot of really dirty books too. (sighs) Fine. I like that a lot. We should do a dirty interstitial again. People, you're all pervy out there. We see the numbers. I want to just say, Jen and I see all the numbers. We see who's watching. We Well, not who, but we see, like, how, how many, many of you? people are downloading and listening to certain episodes. We know. We know what you like. Maybe you don't want to talk to your friends about it, but we know. I, um, Sarah, did something very meta this week. I re-listened to A Hunger Like No Other, and then I re-listened to our very first podcast. Oh, God, was it terrible? Uh, it was great. It was fine. It We recorded it right before the Brett Kavanaugh hearings. And oh, I was like, God. Uh, yeah, fuck that guy. We've so, been around for a long time, and Brett yeah, Kavanaugh's garbage. Yeah. So anyway, <laughs> and, um, I will say this. I, 
I've been seeing a lot of people watching and watching, reading and listening to A Hunger Like No Other right now. Like, Cressley's in the in the ether right now. It yeah. feels like a lot of people are reading IAD, which is great. And if you are thinking about restarting IAD, um, hit the Faded Mates Instagram up on uh, Instagram at Faded Mates Pod. Um, and I've been re I've been putting in stories. I've been re reposting in stories. A lot of people who are doing IAD read alongs. Yeah. Um, but also if you just, if you just DM us, I'm, I run the Instagram account and, um, if you DM us there, I'll connect you to some people who seem to be doing it. But today, actually I put on the stories. You should go look Jen <laughs> the stories this morning that, um, somebody was like, I was warned about this book, but <laughs> I'm on page three and he just ripped his leg off. Sure. <laughs> uh, part of my reason for doing it is I'm doing a puzzle that is the moon. And I thought, I should read a book. I should listen to a book related to this this topic. I almost bought you a puzzle that was the moon for Christmas. And then I was like, is this going to be too hard? I'm doing one right now. I think it's going to be hard. But you know what? That's okay. I have not done one in a while, and I was really stressed out last week. And then I was like, I haven't done a puzzle in a while. I think maybe this will help manage my anxiety. I was just about to – we have a very big – Jen knows this. We have a giant dining room table that I bought. It's big. Many years ago because I really like having dinner parties, and now I haven't had one of those. And I mean – What are those – who comes over for dinner? Who eats food made by another person? I don't know. Um, and so uh, is we just have a very big dining room table now. And um, I have a gigantic, like a 2,000-piece puzzle of Venice. The interesting was the last gift, one of the last gifts my father ever gave my mother. And she never did it. And she was like, you take it. So I thought maybe I'd break out that Venice puzzle. There you go. And do it for two years. <laughs> One day we'll go outside again. And then when it's done, I'll have a dinner party. <laughs> there you go. Maybe you'll be here. Maybe you'll be, it'll be, it'll be time. That'll be nice. Little romance will be in Connecticut. That's right. It'll be great. I'll be like, I'm coming to visit you. And then I'll see him for like, take him out to dinner with his friends and then immediately leave for New York. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> Love you too, Mom. <laughs> Perfect. That's all the kid that's all you want in college anyway. That's all they you want. You want the exactly. free meal. Yeah. A free you want to hug your mom. Like cash, right. And then you want, yeah. And leave some leave the money on the table and see your way out. <laughs> I'm not mad about it. Anyway, we're reading a really good book this week. Ugh. And you texted me this morning at like 6 a.m. and you were like, I'm so mad. And I was like, oh my God, do you hate it? Oh, I was like, no, I love it. She didn't hate it. She loved it. Welcome to Faded Mates, everyone. Um, we should introduce ourselves. Yeah. I'm Jennifer We're a Prokop. podcast. <laughs> I'm, a, I'm Jennifer Prokop. I'm a romance reader and critic. And you know what? I The more I hate a character in romance, the more I love the book. That's how I work. I think that's real. I think yeah. that's real. I'm Sarah McLean. I read romance novels and I write romance novels. And yeah, I agree. I like right. my heroes to be just monstrous. <laughs> yes, I'm just terrible we're gonna, people. <laughs> we're going to put in this thread that Kate shared with us that's about um, Shadow and Bone, I guess, and it's a really funny thread, though. It's great. <laughs> There's a great a great tweet about how you should choose your, how you choose your heroes with, you know, not your moral compass. <laughs> I mean... And honestly, I mean, that's how I feel. It's fantasy, and it's fine. You've been with us for three years by now, and we're not uh, so anybody. you know that... <laughs> 
You know where we come from. Talk to us about Ravishing the Heiress. You recommended this book. I read it for the first time last night. Tell us about... I'm so glad. Oh, God damn. All right, so tell us about it. So Sherry Thomas started writing historicals right around the same time I started writing romance novels. Um, And she... uh, She came up... so. In romance, in, like, romance jargon, a lot of us, especially those of us who are um, traditionally published, meaning we're published by, like, publishing houses and not independently published, um, we talk about ourselves as members of a certain class, meaning, like, just, like, in high school or college, right? Like, so Sherry Thomas came out the year before I did. So she was in the class with um, Courtney Milan and Tessa Dare, and the three of them were, like, the rock stars, uh, the rock star debuts of, I guess it was 2009. eight or nine, yeah, right. Yeah. And everybody thought, like, oh, these are, these are the three... They're amazing. And then I came in after, along with some other people. Um, but, you know, when you're only one year apart by the time... By the time... Eventually, later, right. you know, you can date and stuff. It's fine. It's not <laughs> like... <laughs> Perfect. It's not like they were seniors and I was freshmen. It's right. like... It was fine. Um, so, at the time... So, but... Sherry has always been just, like, a tremendously beautiful writer Mm -hmm. um, who really showed— I think when you look at historicals particularly—I think this is true also in contemporaries, but we live on—you know, I've talked about the branches of the romance tree, and we all kind of live on different branches of the tree. And, um, you know, I think you can say, like— Tassadera writes, like, Regency rom-coms, and I write kind of more in the vein of, like, the Lisa Kleypas, like, kind of something's right. going to blow up by the end of the book kind of book. And Sher- Sherry writes these, like, beautiful, lyric... I mean, her books are... Gorgeous. They're yeah. just... They're so literary. And I... Yeah. At a sentence level, they're so... Yeah, they're so beautiful. Um... A fun fact about Sherry that I think a lot of people don't know, um, but that she has talked about at length, is um, that she is an immigrant. She's a Chinese immigrant. She moved here when she was a child um, to Texas, I think. And she learned to speak and write English by reading romance novels. What a world. And I think that is really cool. So that's just like a fun, it's a fun little fact that I think is, is great. Anyway, so she's, she writes these gorgeous Regency and also Victorian books. And I love a lot of her books. Um, Last week we spoke about, we talked about Widows on the podcast and I talked about Beguiling the Beauty, um, which is actually the first book in this particular Mm -hmm. series. Um, But for me, there is... This is her, I mean, this is the book of Sherry's that I would hand to literally anyone and Mm -hmm. say, not only should you read this because it's, you know, probably one of the best of Sherry's books, but also it's probably one of the best of romance. And it has a lot in it that I think isn't really um, ordinary for romance, Right. I think it is a marriage of convenience story that is about marriage and yes. not about Falling. love. 
Um, and I really love that now in a way that I probably would not have loved that at the age of 20. Um, but I think there's something quiet and important about this book and, and what it says about the way we live in the world with other people. And I think, um, romance is about relationships always, not just relationships between, you know, a husband and a wife or a partner, but also about relationships between, um, you know, siblings between in, in families and also kind of even with people who you'd prefer not to ever have to have a relationship with, like say the woman that your husband oh. has been in love with since basically birth. Listen, <laughs> we are going to finish this podcast and then I am going to take to my bed. So I read this book yesterday. I started it And immediately I read maybe the first chapter and I was like, okay, I'm going to put this down now because I can tell already that if I do not put it down now and do the things I need to do, I will be here until I am done. Mm -hmm. So I didn't, and then I like did things all day and then I got into bed with it or like laid down with it maybe seven or eight at night and then I read straight through and at one point texted Sarah and was like, I am going to fucking murder this man. And Sarah's like, does that mean you don't like it? And I was like, no, it means I love it. What are you talking about? Right? <laughs> Hello. Let's talk briefly about the plot. So Millie is a, a young heiress. And when I say young, I mean 16 of a, a family, of, you know, a sardine make, fortune. A sardine for They make canned food, tinned food. So it's Victorian England. It begins yeah. in 1888 and it ends no. in nineteen in 1896. Not 1996. Right. That's just no. And she is about to be married off for her money to an older, like he's like thir- in his young 30s, I think. He's not like super old. Um, Earl, who desperately needs her money, and that's just the way things go. That's right. And he's a real, a real blob. Yeah, right. He doesn't seem terrible, but he's certainly not great. And she, though her entire life has known this is going to be her... This is her lot. This is her lot. And she loves her parents. So she's like, okay, I'm just... This is the way it's going to work. And this guy drops dead. And then a young 19-year-old inherits the earldom. And her father essentially makes the same deal to this guy. And he is wrecked at the idea that he essentially has to sell his sell himself to save this earldom that he never wanted this crumbling house and she recognizes immediately that like essentially she falls in love with him immediately but knows he wants no part of a life with her and so she immediately essentially strikes a bargain with him that says Let's not consummate the marriage. I don't want to have kids. You're in love with someone else. Uh, yeah. I mean, I do want to say I don't she doesn't strike a bargain with him like this is going to be great for both of us. She is immediately in love with this guy. Yes. Like instantly. It's love at first yes. sight, right? The first yes. line of the book is like, yes, she didn't believe in love at first sight, but it was or whatever. But it was. Um 
But she's doing it to protect herself. Yes. And he's right? like, and he's so upfront about it. He's like, look, I love someone else. And I'm always yeah. going to love this other person. And that's just that. Right. Like, aren't you angry that you're being forced into and this? And it's and not being forced into this. terrible. Like, in the moment, no. you're sort of like, oh, God, this is terrible. But then you're sort of like, he's not being mean. Like, he's no. sort of saying, like, look, this is our lot. Yeah. Right. Exactly. And, and so then Millie comes up with this idea. Yeah. To protect herself and give right. him freedom. Right. And so she says, you know, how about we give ourselves six years? We'll just stay married but not consummate the marriage. And he immediately counters with eight. Let's make it eight. And she, it makes her feel even worse. Yeah, he never wants to touch me. He never wants to touch me. And so then chapter two picks up eight years later, and they are... Best friends, although we don't know how, because it literally is like boom to it's the It's time slip. So yes, uh, we've talked before about how much I love time slip. Like, time yes. slip is like one of my favorite things well, in romances. So and yeah. very, very few people do it as well as Sherry does. This is yes. not her only book written in time slip, and she is great at it. So we know that they're really close and they're friends, and she essentially, Millie, gives Fitz permission to leave her to go be with his true love Isabella, who is it's back. this great. But okay, I get <laughs> that I'm we're like, doing the plot, but I have we have to pause and talk about this scene yeah. because it's no. this moment. So chapter two or something like it's mm-hmm. very soon, very early in the book. I and was like, what Millie is, is sitting there at breakfast. They're at breakfast, and she is sitting, and she says aloud, "Your mistress." Isabella. We'll call her Isabella. That's her name. Like, she has a last name, but who cares? Sure. Um, Isabella is back. hmm And he's like, oh, yeah. And they're just at breakfast, like, yes. sitting across from each other. And she says, I suppose you're going to want to see her. And he says, yes, she's already written to me. Like, it's all incredibly just, like, Right. normal. Yes. And then she's like, okay, well, have a great day. And she gets up and she leaves the room and the maid starts to clear the plates. Yes. And he says, hang on a second. Like she left food, like give that to me. I'll, I'll eat it. Right. Like he she can't waste, you know, he won't waste her food. And, but she usually like, she never leaves food because you serve right. yourself. And she's right. so, She's so, Millie is so put together and, like, aware. She's so in control of herself, her emotions, her body. She never even takes more food than she can eat. Like, she does not misstep. So he, we're in his POV, and he's like, it's so weird. And then he takes the last bite of her eggs, and they are salted to the extreme. Because she's, oh, The first moment where you realize, oh, Sherry Thomas is writing on a level that none of us can access. Like, it is... Listen. I I mean, it would just never occur to me to write this scene. And, like, it is so perfect. And that's those salted eggs, you can taste them. Yes. Yes. Because she is so... She's so tortured... Yes. By this experience. Oh, fuck. I, listen, everybody, you are not ready. And here's the thing. I am not a big angst reader in general, right? This book, 
knocked me on my ass. Like, I'm not even kidding you. And you know what? It's really funny. I feel like I've read Sherry Thomas in the past and people are like, oh my God, these books are so amazing. And I'm like, I was like, my brain is like, meh. And now I'm like, oh, now I know why. Because Sherry Thomas ruthlessly rips into your fucking chest, takes your heart out, like stomps all over it. And then is like, here, Mm -hmm. here. But here's the thing. She does it in such an insidious way. Oh god, yes. That like you're not the whole time you're like, "Oh, this is fine. Like I'm just I'm fine. R- I'm reading this book and it's fine." And then you're like, "Oh no, like every piece of it is destroying me." Like but it's you don't even know that you're being destroyed until she's just left you wrecked. That's she's good. I here's what I would like to say. <laughs> There's the show title. She's good. She's good. <laughs> Jen's in her bed. Here's the thing. Here's how, here's the thing though. And you see this throughout the book and it is, it is textbook, which is, we have talked before about how important it is in romance when main characters like watch each other like this, right? The signals people give with their body language, with how they're salting their eggs, whatever, right? No one does it like Sherry Thomas. Mm-mm. It is a masterclass in, in like, the subtle clues that people give off for how they are feeling or not so subtle, right? And they're all in action. It's unreal how good it is. I know, I'm sorry, I'm just, like, raving, but I cannot even. No, I'm just taking notes for later, things I want to say later. Oh, okay, perfect. All right, so here's the thing. The deal then is that the eight years are sort of up, and Fitz really understands that he has made a promise to Millie about what's going to happen in eight years and that she would be a good mother. She's not even 25, right? He, she would, he's 27. She would be a good mother. And so the right thing to do is to essentially say before he goes to get with Isabel. And meanwhile, what we haven't talked about yet, but we will, is he has been having affairs the entire marriage. And she has had none, right? So she's still a virgin. And she has given him permission. She's basically like, look, we don't want to be married to each other, but we have to be. You just live your life. I am not going to get in your way at all. And he's so his deal is I'm going to be with Isabel, but not for six months. I am going to spend six months doing my duty to see if we can make a baby. And then I will go and then I'll leave you and I'll go set up house with her and her children and I will be with her. It never occurs to him that there isn't a possible that that he'll ever leave Millie though. Like he's like, we're gonna be married. This is so English, right? It's yeah. like this perfect like English setup where he's like, we're gonna be married. I'm gonna get you with air, right? Your and then they keep referring to it as Millie's son. Like Millie yes. is going to get a son. Yes, and then. Um, and then he's going to go off and, like, live his life. But, like, of course, she will continue to be countess. Yeah. She'll continue to, like, they will continue to, like, have this house that yeah. they, you know, that they have lived in and, like, worked on together. And I want to talk about that, talk too. About that, of course. Um, but the, you know, for Fitz, this feels fine. Like, this sure. feels like this is how it will be and this will be fine. And Millie is so controlled and so buttoned up that she's like, yes, okay, this is fine. This is exactly what I thought would have ha- would happen. Right. I mean, it is 
And the whole time you're thinking to yourself, like, what? This woman is, and but here's the crazy thing. You would think she was a doormat, the way we're describing her. Yes. And she's like made of steel. She's just pure steel. I think it was like, so the bargain that gets made, right? And we've talked way all the way from the very beginning about like loving a sex deal. This is something else though, because this is a deal where he thinks she is doing it for him and she knows she is doing it for herself, right? Like it's going to break my fucking heart to try and love this man. I know that he cannot even accept that. All the only path I have to be with him is to be like his wife in name only, his friend, his business partner. It's so smart the way she weaves in that business. Yes, right? And and they will support each other, but like love will not enter into it because otherwise Millie will just like break into a million pieces. At the very, very, so then it starts to, the time slip starts to become important, right? So yes. now we've gotten you to about, I don't know, halfway through the book, right? right. And, but the care, the way that it's structured is every kind of two or three chapters, there is a chapter or a couple of scenes from the past. Right. And they're structured in a really interesting way where Sherry Thomas actually labels these scenes as like, critical moments from the past. So it's like yes. the deal that I can't remember the names of all of them, but like, it's like, you know, the, whatever yeah. the, the thing that is happening in the moment. Right. Mm-hmm. The, and we see, she chooses very thoughtfully and obviously because it's time slip. Clearly she chooses the thoughtfully, the thoughtful scenes, right. the important scenes in their marriage. But there are a couple of things that are, I think really important. Can we talk about the honeymoon first? Oh God. I guess. <laughs> I hate that fucking honeymoon. I mean, I love it. I love it. But like, it's, yeah, let's do it. Sorry, I've jumped the gun. Yeah, no. Well, let's well, it's important. Air. No, it's important. It, yeah. It is devastating. Basically, she packs clothes and he packs whiskey. He's and so they, unhappy. Yeah. And the night of the wedding, he like basically sends her to her room and he has his room and he gets drunk And the next morning, he's like, I'm going to check out, and I'm going to go a couple miles down the road to this cabin. And she's like, I have to come with you. And he is like— Because he starts breaking shit. Like, he starts—he destroys the hotel room. Literally destroys the room, right? And she's like, you you can't can't leave me here. The gossip will kill me. You have to take me with you. And it is three weeks of him drinking all day and, like, literally breaking shit. Destroying this house. Destroying the house. And she finds him— And it is, there's this moment where she's like, she's 16 years old and she has lived in this happy home. And now she is with this young man who is out of control in a way that is terrifying to her. And and terrifying in a way, because the thing that really finally gets her is she finds him with a rifle, like pointed at his face. And she thinks he's going to shoot himself. Right. And so she, she throws all the whiskey away. And there is, there's like a lot of crates of whiskey and she just empties it all out and she dries them out and she is just like, and then the, 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 the three or four days later, she's like, they're delivering more groceries today and they're delivering more whiskey. But if you, you have to turn it down, I'm not going to do it for you. I did it for you once. And it's at this moment that you realize what Millie is really capable of. Yeah. She's so strong. 
And he, he realizes it too. And that's what's amazing. Again, it goes back to Sherry's just pure skill in the hands of a different writer, probably me, right? I would say like, okay, he doesn't notice. Like he doesn't see. This is a point where the reader can see, but he can't see. He sees. He sees. He's like, oh no, she's literally saving me. Yes. And then he, they get this missive from like a disaster. Oh, but wait, we didn't talk about the fact that then she says, you think you're the only one who, uh, who, who was in love. Oh God. And the reality is, is like the heartbreaking moment of that is of course she's talking about him and she's losing her love, her chance at love too. She sees it like any hope she might have had. Right. That she could convince this boy, because he yeah. is a boy, yes, to love her, is just out the window when she sees how absolutely devastated he is by her. Yes. And I might add, he's also said on numerous occasions, like, I'm only ever going to love her, yes. Isabel. Yeah. It is, I don't know. And I have such complicated feelings about it. I think as a woman... Like, the way this hit me, like, Millie's sacrifice. Like, you know, like, this is my lot, and I just have to fucking live with it. And the way that that plays out differently for her than for him Mm -hmm. in this chapter, I just, I mean, oh, god damn. I don't even know. I know I'm not even, like, making words. It was really, it was painful and powerful. It's layered in so well, this idea of, like, women, the way women have to be in order to survive. Yeah. And I think um, survival is so, it's constant in this book, this kind of question of survival, what it it means to survive, um, what it means to survive physically, emotionally, what it means for a business to survive, what it means for a home to survive, like what it means for the past, for the present. Like Mm -hmm. there's so many different ways that Sherry is playing with this concept of like survival and then layering on top of it thriving. Yeah. Right? Because none of these things at the time... At the point of their marriage, they are all just clinging to hope that they will survive it. Yes. And then she starts to layer in, in this, like, really beautiful way, this idea that they might not have to just survive. Right? Yeah. The businesses can can thrive. The home can... the, 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 like, estate can thrive. They can thrive as friends and then more. When they get married... Each of these oh. characters brings something to the table, right? right? Millie brings her fortune and the sardine company. The tin. Yes. Her dad's made a fortune in tin goods, right? right. Um, it's the 1880s. Like this is the heyday of packaged. Like it's the beginning of packaged foods as we right. know it. Um, and it is also the beginning of advertising. Like mm-hmm. we've never seen advertising. Anything like this in the world until, you know, Victorian, sort of the heyday of Victorian England. 
so she brings this company to the table and Fitz brings this house, this like estate house that is in shambles and has quite literally like a wing of this house was added on to this, to it, um, not long earlier because the old Earl was keeping up with the Joneses. Right. And it is a monstrosity and it's falling down. It's and like it's moldy and rat infested and ugh. So this is what they have. And yeah. we are soon to discover that even the tinned goods company right. was failing. Right. It is it's going to fail. It's like, about it's not it's not as forward thinking. It's not keeping up with the rest of the, you know, these companies. Right. And because the father like basically was like sardines and something else. Sure, just, and he's just like, uh, this is working. Let's not. Change yeah. It. Like I make sardines and therefore we're always going to make sardines and like never discuss the possibility of making anything else. Anyway, right. point is they get to this, this, they come to this place where they, the second they get to the house, this like familial estate, that isn't really a familial estate. It's now it yeah, belongs right. to the title, right? Right. It becomes clear that they have to break it. They have to destroy part of it. Right. Right. I mean, there's so much here about packing in growth. Yeah. And I think we talk all the time about how romances have to start with characters at the beginning who grow over the course of the book. But Every piece, every set piece in this book, every person in this book, everything in this book grows. Yes. And it is amazing how well, much she packs in. It's like growth through destruction. In a not very long book. This is not yeah. a long book. No. I read, yeah. It's it's also like knowing what you have to like rip out from the root to make something new. Basically, she says to him, like, we got to just tear this wing down. And he was like, oh, shit, you're right. Mm-hmm. Right? And at the same time, her mom has told her, just build a garden for yourself. And then there's Alice the Dormouse. <sighs> that fucking mouse. <laughs> I, I like, can't wait. deal with that mouse. So yeah. <laughs> Isabel gives, has given Fitz, like in the past, a Dormouse, which I don't know anything about mice, honestly, except that I hire an exterminator to deal with them. Sure. Well, animals are always symbols. And the only thing I will tell you, I Googled it, is they are known for hibernation. And he talks about hibernating. And, like, their whole marriage is in hibernation. So I was kind of like, all right, fine. But this dormouse lives in his pocket, which... Whatever. I mean, this is probably the only part of the book where I'm like... Is this a real thing? Like, is this... What's happening here? Yeah. (laughs) So, anyway, Alice the Dormouse lives in his pocket when she's not hibernating. And she eats, like, caterpillars and nuts. Sure. Like, and he feeds her, and he's, like, in love with this little mouse because Isabel gave it to her. Isabel gave it to him, yeah. Gave it to him. And he shows it to Millie. Oh, it's so heartbreaking. God. In the past, right? So she's like, hey, what's the deal with this... Mouse, right? Um, and is that a mouse in your pocket, or are you just happy to see me? (laughs) And he, and so he's like, "What? What's the deal with this mouse?" And he says, "Isabel gave it to me," and he holds it out, right? Like he holds it up so that she can look at it, but But he he doesn't offer. He doesn't offer to let her hold the mouse, and she doesn't ask. But 
She knows. Like, it's very clear, right? This mouse is his. It's his through via Isabel. For those of you who are crown watchers, there were these echoes of this, like, kind of like this Camilla-y, like, Isabel's this kind of Camilla-y figure who, like, seems to understand there's this perception that Isabel understands Fitz in a way that Millie yes. can't, right, at the beginning. And mm-hmm. she kind of owns this misunderstanding also because she feels like, well, I have to I have to own this because if I start to feel like I do understand him very well, then I'll love him and then I'm fucked, right? So anyway, this mouse is very infuriating because at some point the mouse dies and this and the grief that he has so the mouse dies in present day no that mouse dies in the past but later yeah and so there's a moment where you know he has he has he's there let it go he has to let this mouse go and he like weeps over the death of this mouse and then I'm upset about the death of this mouse, and I resent that. Yeah. <laughs> so, and I think, and then we find out later that like Millie has it taxidermied, and Millie like, has it preserved. The, you know, and I'm just like, God, fucking. He does. I mean, here's the thing. the The reason I sent Sarah this text in the middle of the night about how much I hate of this fucking guy is because I and I didn't. Right. The thing that is amazing is he, Millie, makes it so easy for him to. To be her friend, but to not think about never what doing face to her. it, never yeah. face it. All right, but can we talk about partnership? Because yes. I said at the beginning that I think this book is really—it's a marriage of convenience story that probably ta- I'm not sure I've ever read a romance novel that tackles marriage yes, quite so like well, this. right? Um, because it feels very authentic, right? So they, like I said, they both bring these kind of broken or soon-to-be-broken institutions, like, to the mm-hmm. table. And there is a sense. And so at some point, you know, he, Millie gets a, a – I was going to say a text. <laughs> Millie gets a text. Millie, Millie gets a text from Fitz. Um, Millie gets a um, an email uh, – jeez. <laughs> a letter. A letter. A letter. Yeah. Thank you. She gets a letter from Fitz. It's basically like, look, the company is – there is a problem with the company, and I need you to come to a meeting. Yes. At the business, like at the warehouse. And she's like, my job is to like look good and have good posture. What on earth am I being invited to this yeah. meeting for? Um, but basically, he's like, look, I've gone through everything related to the company, and I think that we can, we have things to do to like increase the holdings of the company, increase the profits. I want to talk about advertising. And like, here we are like this hero who like this dude who is just like, look, this is my, this is our company now. Right. Her father has died and left the company to her. Yeah. And he, she goes off to be with her mom in Italy. And that's when Fitz is like writing letters. And then he's like, you got to get back here. Cause if we don't fix this, yeah, the company will not provide the money we are going to need. Yeah. Right. Yeah, they need this company to thrive. Yeah. It never occurs to him to just do it. And truthfully, he could have just done it, right? This is still like this she, is when we start to He's realize, in charge. Yes, but this is when we start to realize like the real partnership that they've created, starting with like destroying the house together, right? And now at this moment, it is you're like, wait, he could just do this without her. But She's he won't. Just a figurehead, but he will not. And it's an interesting choice. It's a choice on a number of levels for Sherry Thomas, not the least of which 
it it holds a lot of value in a lot of ways, not the least of which is it actually is the first moment where I, as a reader, realized that, like, he's actually a really decent person who cares a lot about her. Yeah. And respects her, respects her Mm -hmm. opinion, respects her, like, thoughts on all sorts of different things. And, like, he would never dream of fussing with her birthright yes without her her permission and her input and i think it feels it's it's this turning point in the book where you feel like oh they're gonna be partners yeah and they're still kids at this point he's just 21 right so they like come up with this plan together and you're kind of like what's the plan and the whole thing you realize is it doesn't matter right the plan is that they are going to figure out a way to gain control of the company without alienating the people who actually know how to run it Mm -hmm. and it's Brilliant. brilliant. It's brilliant. Yeah. It also speaks to, I mean, this is kind of a wonky historical piece, but it speaks to the power that women are starting to have in businesses, like even just like quiet, small power, often around things like advertising, because yeah. women are the purchasers in mm-hmm. in families yes. typically yeah. at this time. And then on top of it, it speaks to the fact that um nobility that the aristocracy is having to get into business at this point. Like there isn't as much money in the Hill when like colonialism is drying up. Right. Well, and this becomes, okay. So like these people have to get jobs. Yeah. Poor babies. (laughs) Right. And that's the part where, you know, they don't care what society thinks. Like, there's this part where they have this really fascinating conversation where she's like, Millie says, look, if I'm good enough to spend this money, I'm going to be good enough to figure out how to make it. And you're like, goddamn right you are, Millie. That's right. At one point, they're talking, they're at a, they're at the dance with his. Yes. His- they're, at, they're at a ball and there's a discussion of like, everybody will think they're very bourgeois. And it's like, yeah. They will. Guess what? But guess what? Those people. Ball, I'm having. Yeah, and your house is going to be the one that stands in a hundred years. So there's, there's like, so again, Sherry's just, she's so good at it. She's packing in these kind of external things that are happening Mm -hmm. in the world, in the family, right? Yeah. And then, but can we talk about lavender? Are you ready for to do that? Because I want to do that. So they build, so they've knocked down half part of this, like a whole wing house, right? right? The the two thirds of the, of the house. Yeah. They just decide like, let's get, let's get rid of it. Um, and they, and then he gives her, well, he knows she's planning a garden for her garden. he, He, on her 17th birthday, he like basically He's like, how old are you again? I don't remember why. And she's Yeah, he like, can never remember her birthday. Well, he doesn't know it at all the first mm-hmm. time. And then it's clear, like, sort of in some later years, his sisters help her out. And she was really afraid that the sisters would hate her, right? And they are lovely, and they think of her as a sister. And then the lavender, he brings her, like, a cutting of lavender. And he's like, I know you're going to start this garden, and you kind of smell like this a lot. I think you like this scent. So why don't we, like, go ahead and grow some lavender, and I brought this for you. And it is the first real gift that he gives her. Mm -hmm. And unlike this dormouse that's going to die, right, this plant is going to live and thrive. And it's just this, like, little signal to us as the reader about, like, what's going to happen later. 
and what's going to happen. And this lavender sprig becomes lavender fields. So I mean, so acres and acres of yes. lavender, which sounds so lovely, and I does. want to go there. Well, and mm. so I want to talk about flowers for just yes. a second because Sherry's incredibly smart, and I know she doesn't do shit like this for <laughs> just because. Right. It's all on purpose. So Victorians were very, very into flowers as meaning. Like, yes. the, there's... You know, now we sort of talk about every once in a while you'll meet someone and they'll say, oh, like Rosemary's for remembrance, right? Which is, I think, from Hamlet. But um, but the Victorians really, I mean, they packed it in. Every flower had a meaning. Um, When if you like I have family members, my dad always used to say like he hated chrysanthemums because they were the flower of death. And which must have been an an Italian thing. But, um, you know, if you have like an like a grandma or a mom or a dad right. who like ha- who's like oh no those flowers mean whatever often that meaning is victorian right um because the victorians were super extra um <laughs> i mean nobody's more extra than the victorians <laughs> so um but lavender is really interesting because the meaning of lavender in now if you if you talk about lavender now um it's sort of like undying love like eternal like devotion and loyalty but victorians always had because nothing could be straightforward and they're super extra um, there almost every flower has a double meaning, right? So it could I so if somebody gave you like a bouquet of lavender, it could mean like and and undying loyalty, right? And right. devotion, or it could mean distrust, right? So the two, it often the meanings right. were foiled. So it was the right. the idea that like what right. did that what did what does this really mean? I mean, it's all nonsense. But the point is that lavender means both distrust and loyalty. And it's a question of which one it it actually will turn out to be. And I think there's something really powerful in the fact that this field is full of this like flower that means so much that is is so related to how they are running back and forth with each other, especially because at this point, uh, Isabel's gone, right? She's been remarried. Sure. Um, like there is a sort of sense that like their, their life is progressing and Millie knows that like there is a future for them by virtue of there not being a future for him with Isabel. Right. Except of course, Isabel's husband dies. Yes. And she comes back in this very kind of like, I want to be with you way. Like, she has a whole plan. She's like, I'm a widow. I want to buy a house. I found a house for us. He, okay, point of clarification. He sets up a house for her. He gets her this house. Oh, he sets her a house. Yeah. But then she's like, I want to buy an estate. Yeah. For us to live on. He's going to buy it for oh, her, right? Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. I'm sorry. Did I I did not mean to suggest I that Isabella just, is shelling out any level of money for any of this. Yeah, yeah. No, no, she no, no, is no. not. Right. Well, and the thing Also, you get the sense is, that Isabel doesn't actually have very much money, right? Like yeah. that was the reason why they couldn't get married in the first place. Right. Well, not enough to bail him out of this business where he's, you know, inherited 80,000 pounds of debt. But the thing that's fascinating about this, about Isabella, because we have to talk about her and infidelity. Well, I want to talk about Lavender, too. And, and Lavender. Is- and Isabella. Right. Isabella. Like, I wanna, 
Is it Isabella? I don't know. Wait. What's her name? I don't care. I hate I this don't care. woman. I do too. She gets I mean, her own I, book you and really I don't shouldn't care. hate her. Like, there's also that piece too that we need to get to, which is like Sherry's so careful about like of presenting course. her as like she also was a victim of fate. Yeah, but I, think I don't thing, care. Yeah, it's here. <laughs> we're gonna talk about her though. I don't either because I think the thing that was hard for me that I really had my moments of with Isabel. Oh, hold on, I'm about to look with Isabel. Is, Isabel. Isabel is as soon as Isabel comes back, Millie goes back to being an interloper who, you know, disrupted this great love. And yes. instead, you're like, no, hang wait, on a second. Wait. And in fact, he's so much better for her in the sense that, like, I don't yeah. mean he is a better match for her. I mean, he is a better man because of Millie. Of like, yes. she has, he's grown up, right? Like, we talk yes. about this. At the beginning of the book, he is a child who has childish thoughts and childish dreams and doesn't understand the way the world works. Right. And Millie is his, like, steadfast partner, partner in this. Friend. Like, he becomes a man through right. Millie's love and caring. Yes. And, ah, it's so infuriating. And he's, but, like, doesn't even really know it because everything, I mean, he thinks, that's the part that kills me about this book, right? He's, like... God, my lot totally sucks. And I'm like, this woman has just made your life in completely easy, and you are still just like, meh. Um, here's the thing. Can we talk about infidelity and then talk about Isabel? So at the in the part of the deal is— Well, we got to talk about infidelity because yeah. third, third rail. Right. Millie says, I am not—you live your life. I'm not going to get in your way. Do whatever you have to do. And he has eight years' worth of affairs— and I will tell you what, though, it is when he gives Isabel a jar of honey from their lavender fields that I was like, now you've gone too far. <laughs> a bridge too far. No, Listen. that lavender honey really hit me, too. And it hit me on, in a different way. But yes, because Isabel also thinks he's gone too far. Yeah. Right? She's like, how could you possibly give me something she made? And he's like, she didn't make it. We made it together. And she's like, that's even worse. And, I, and I'm like, that's even to, worse. You're about to take this man this man from his wife and not even think twice about I mean, it was fascinating. It's fascinating how you like fixate on this like one little thing because you're like, okay, I can maybe get my head around a I can maybe get my head around why this is a betrayal. But why is like the whole betrayal is too big for me to even like grapple with right even though she says have affairs but it's like that business so okay i actually so all right we have to talk about this right right. we're getting it's pretty far into the episode but (laughs) if you get a group full of a group of romance readers in a room and you say what is the one thing that is unforgivable infidelity guaranteed 90 percent of them will say infidelity Right. It is incredibly difficult to write a book about infidelity. Hi, I've done it. Mm-hmm. And it is really, really hard to convince yeah. readers to turn the corner on a hero yeah. who has flatly cheated on the heroine. Right. Um, I think there are a few ways to do it where, I mean, yeah, I think, I mean, like, <laughs> I think there are a few ways to do it right. And to do it without readers, like, absolutely right. losing their minds. Thing, yeah. However, 
many, 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 many readers, I imagine, have a lot of problems with this book because he is unfaithful to Millie emotionally for a huge portion of this book. Um, until he realizes that, like, he needs her, right? Like, that she is who he, that he is only who he is by virtue of having lived with Millie's love and friendship and partnership. I actually really love infidelity and romances, and I know that that's probably, like, a horrifying thing to say, but I actually think it's, I think, look, I think cheating happens in the world. Right. And I think that marriages struggle with it and survive it. Many, I would imagine that there is some, some number of our listeners today have had this in a, in a relationship before and it has survived. Some number of that, those people have had it survive. And like, I think marriage is one of those things where you can't, I mean, you say it all the time when you meet people in the world, right? Nobody can understand anybody else's marriage. marriage. Right. And that's what's happening in this book. This constant sense of like, no one understands his marriage. But them. But you know, here's what I'll say is because his sisters I, don't understand it either. Sure. I, here's what I'll say about infidelity is in romance. Yeah. And I'll say the thing to you, which is if I said it, you'd say it to me, which is this is where the romance bumps into up into the fantasy. Into the fantasy. Yep. And the fantasy is once I fall in love with this person, that's it. Yep. Game over, right? I do think that what you share, yes, that's a good point. Because I, so my, my infidelity book is The Day of the Duchess. Mm-hmm. But the hero has never not been absolutely head over heels, obsessively in love with the heroine. He makes a physical mistake, right? right. That is ultimately he is punished for and like has to grovel for, for 300 pages. But Fitz doesn't make a physical mistake. He's making a An emotional mistake. He is harming her emotionally every day. Because she says, I mean, the physical, her saying, go ahead and have affairs, that, and and she, she knows she's first. And there's a great scene where we are shown that. It is not the, like the, you know, the like litany of women he's been with. She, there's two parts and it is honestly fascinating. One is they're at a ball and his mistress is there. And he dances, uh, like, not the waltz, something else with his mistress. And his mistress kind of walks by and gives, like, shoots Millie a look, like, I've got your man. And Millie turns to Fitz and is like, did you see what that bitch just did? And he's like, let's show No, he turns to her and says, did you see? Yeah. And she says, yeah. She And she says, she knows that she has something I don't. Yeah. And he's like, well, that's the end of my relationship with her. Yep. I think it's really. And then he waltz four times in a row. It's such a smart at first, you're sort of like, why are we seeing Fitz with his mistress here? Like, yes. this is an interesting choice. But it's Sherry saying to you, like, this doesn't matter. This doesn't like, matter, and it doesn't matter to Millie. Millie is not moved by it. Nothing about this matters to her. Right. What matters to her is the woman living rent-free in his head. That's right. That's right. And that's And soon his house. <laughs> okay, so then Isabel comes back and she starts to like make some moves into Millie's territory. And even Fitz is like, <gasps> You gotta talk about the train. This is not well done of her. And the part where, okay, so this is what prompted the part, it broke my fucking heart. So he gives her the jar of honey. I don't, I think this is before. And you're like, What are you doing? And then they're gonna set up a house. And you're like, What are you doing? But it starts to, I, it's important to point out that like things are unraveling. Even like, Fitz but in is like, in, like, really, like, there's, like, yes. a crack in the paint 
It's not, God, it's so delicate. Everything about this book is so precise. Yes. So he is meeting, his family is all going to be meeting at the train station to go somewhere to do something. I don't know why. And Isabel shows up. And she's like, oh, I just knew that Fitz was going to be here. He mentioned it. And Fitz is like, wait, my wife is going to be here. And he's thinking to himself, like, he knows Isabel. He Well, <laughs> this part I left at. He's like, you know, that it wasn't malicious. And I was like, oh, Fitz. I felt like it was. And and so he, they're standing there and his sisters are looking at him like, what the hell are you doing? You have this woman here. And we all know that she is different than this litany of mistresses you've had. And he is looking across and he sees Millie arrive. And Millie gets down out of her carriage and looks across and sees Isabel with them and gets right back in her carriage and drives away. Oh, it's so good. This is what women have to do in the world. That's when I texted you. Because you want to just... Yes, you want... You want her to fight. Yes. And then you're like, there's no fighting this. There's no fighting this. If you truly believe that the man you love loves someone else, like, you yeah. you have to walk away. Yeah. But it is so heartbreaking. It is honestly... And he sees her, right? He sees it's one her. of those moments where throughout the whole book, like you said, there are these moments where characters see each other. Mm-hmm. There, There's a moment very early in the book when they first, first meet where she thinks he's not looking at her and it turns out he's been watching her in a mirror the whole time. Like, I highlighted that. And Fitz is, and then it's like, I noticed that you love the bench that's in the townhouse in London. So I had one made for you for the garden here in the in the country. I noticed that you love flowers, so I bought you this lavender. I noticed, like, mm-hmm. there are these remarkable little moments where Fitz is constantly noticing Millie, noticing, like, where what she, she is, needs, what right. she needs, how she thinks, what she right. loves. And in that moment, it's the first time he notices her, her pain instead of Isabel. And he goes to her and he is like, yeah, where are you? We're coming. You're coming for tea. And he doesn't say to her, I saw you come and leave. He just goes to get her. And I will tell you, it is this moment where, I mean, these are, there's so many moments like this. And another moment is like, she says to him and back to the like infidelity, like I've watched you work a room. I know how you, I know how you pick up the a woman, right? You go in and you're all handsome and you just hang out with the men and the last person you talk to is the one you really want. And it's like, I have got to tell you, I thought, can you imagine like being in love with a man and knowing the way he walks into a room and who he's going to choose that's not you? It's heartbreaking. This whole book, it's just an aching unrequited devastation. So if you love unrequited love stories and you haven't read this, like yeah, you got to get ready, strap in because there's there's no unrequited story that's like this. Like so he basically says at the beginning, the chapter 1 is, okay, we're going to have sex for 6 months and then I'm going to go be with Isabel. And she's like, starting tonight? He's like, no, I'll give you a week, starting in a week. Cuz in a week they're holding a ball for his sister who's newly married. And Sarah, I don't think I have ever felt this way in my life. People are like, you know, I don't like a slow burn. Though as it's getting closer to the night where they're going to have sex, I really was like, Millie, don't do this. 
He's just going to break your heart. Like, don't have sex with him. Run away. I And I have never in my life felt this way. I was like, just don't do it. This is going to be too much for your, too much. You're, you are, no one is that strong. The sex <sighs> is so beautiful. And it's so romantic. And they clearly adore each other. And it's heartbreaking. It's heartbreaking. And there, it, like, it starts off like she won't let him look at her. And, like, right? It has the light dark. And the, and the yeah. light. And then she finally lets him look, like, three nights later, right? She's finally <sighs> lets him leave the lights on. And there is this sentence. And it was, um, <laughs> then he made love to her, not only as if he had never experienced lovemaking before, but no one had. I know. And I was like, I'm going to go get, again, lay in my bed because it is devastating. Mm-hmm. It's devastating. And it's devastating to him, too, right? One of my very favorite myths is the myth of Cupid and Psyche. And I I always wonder about it when we get to a, a romance novel where there's like a darkness, like you can't touch me in the light. Um, so the, briefly, the myth is, you know, Cupid is Cupid and he falls in love, um, with a mortal who, uh, is basically like, basically he's wildly in love with her. And in that way, the Greek gods can do. (laughs) And, um, and he, he, says to her like they so they start to they have sex at night and he or they're together at night and um she's like who are you who who are you and he's like you'll you can never see my face like I'll come to you every night but like you can't see my face you can't turn the light on you can't like it has to be in darkness for you know I don't know mythology reasons I can't remember and the um and she has sisters who are like, of course, right? Sisters yeah. who say like, you got it. Like he could be anybody. Like he could, he could be a monster. Like you have to know who he is. Like who is this man? And she finally turns the light on, or she like he's asleep, and she lights a candle, and she sees that he's like the most beautiful thing she's ever seen, right? Because he's Cupid, right? And then she destroy, like basically, it destroys them both sure. because, um. You know, it's it's about, like, mistrust and, you know, all sorts of things. And I think it's really—I think this is a sort of nod to that in some way, this kind of, like, once he is able to turn the light on and see her right. in that moment, like, it does ruin both of them, right? It Because it unhinges her—she knows, like, once he starts—once he sees her, she won't be able to hide how she feels from yeah. him. And she has hidden from him for eight years. Right. And now it's like the worst part. Like she she has to hide all the joy and all the sorrow all at once in this time when like he's unraveling her. Yeah. And then at the same time, when he sees her, he is also wrecked by this moment of... I think this is the woman I love, but the train has already left the station. That's the other thing about this book. You really believe the train has left the station. Yeah. Even though these are the married people. Well, and that's the part that is fascinating. I mean, so, I mean, at the I was like, how on earth are they going to fix this? Because, 
And basically, Millie, I mean, so they have, like, this, like, unbelievable sex for a week. And then, like, they stop. Like, he, like, clearly cannot handle it. And so she's like, he's not coming back. And she says to him, okay, so you have to leave me, leave me. Like, you're going to have to marry her. Yeah. You, this, we, we cannot do this. She gets her period on page. And says, you know, there's no baby, and I don't want to do this anymore. You're gonna, you can't. It's so clear. She's like, I cannot do this. And I will say, I'm still kind of pissy at him. You know, he's kind of like, oh God, I guess I'll really break Isabel's heart, but I don't want to lose Millie. And you're like, fuck Isabel. I'm sorry. And I know she is not. No. Like she has her own problems, but I really wanted him. If there is a misstep here, it is. In that moment. Yeah. It is in the moment where she tells him yeah. that she loves him, right? That it has always been. Because he's like, your dude has gotten married, surely. Like, this is, a, what do you think could possibly happen yeah. here? And she's like, you don't understand. There is no dude. It is you. Yeah. Yeah. It has always been you. And you are destroying me. Yeah. And there is a moment there where you do, you just want him to be like, oh my God, it's been you too. But again, there's like, as much as you say, this is where you say, like, this is where it butts up against fantasy, but this whole yeah. book doesn't feel like fantasy. Right. Oh, this God, book no, is too real. Yeah. very real and honest and beautiful. And I think that's why it works so well. That's why we're all, that's why so many people, when you talk to readers and writers of the genre about this book, we all acknowledge. Yeah. Certainly writers all acknowledge that what Sherry is doing in this book is a very different thing than what most of us are doing. It is so honest. They, of course, it all has to end where it begins, which is at their home, right? And, you know, Isabel's like, we're going to be a couple stops on the train from your estate. And, you know, that'll be great for you. And he's like, look, I don't, I don't love you. I'm not buying this house. We can't do this. And they go to his home, right? That he's made with his wife. And she sees them embracing because he's like hugging her goodbye. And it's, you know, Millie just, like, walks and walks and walks for hours, and she, like, sneaks back into the house. And, you know, he, like, basically, like, storms the room when he sees the light on and is like, where have you been? Like, we're I just, dragging the lake. We're dredging the lake. <laughs> Calm down, dude. <laughs> I will tell you, I, I do think that maybe what I needed there, that's really interesting because it's all her point of view, right? And I really was like, maybe I needed his point of view. You needed one scene yeah, where, where we saw is, him just unraveled. Yeah, and really just realizing, like, God, what if I what if I lost her? I've been so cavalier about leaving her, but what if I lost her? Yeah, but I don't know. You, I think you're right, but I also think like that's just not Sherry Thomas. That's of course not. And right? Like she would never, she would she never would give never. you that. It's too much. It's too it's too extra. It's too extra, but I'm extra. And Sherry, if you want to write that fucking scene and send it to me an email. (laughs) But I mean, that's the part where it's like, that's the, this book has never been about that, but right. So this book is perfect for what it is. No, it's so precise. The precision. This is like, you're watching, you're watching Sherry write a romance novel with like a surgical knife. 
you know, I'm out here with hedge clippers, like kaboom, 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 like he's dredging the lake himself, <laughs> right, in the dark. But like, oh, God, I and like, but it's too, like, I'm all over the place. She is like, she is laser focused on what she wants you to see. She makes every, she chooses every word. Of course. It's Ah, she's so good. She's so good. Oh, Sarah. She's so good. If you are uh, thinking about writing Marriage of Convenience, if you are a writer out there, read this. It's not, you're not going to be able to do this. No. God, no. I mean, come on. You should read this because you should know, like, how it works. This is what Marriage of Convenience were. If you strip a Marriage of Convenience novel down to the barest bones, it should be this story. I will say one other thing about this book. Millie, I think, feels really alone in her misery and her marriage, right? She, But at the same time, it's clear to us how many people love her. And I think it's so well done. I think so, too. Her mother in particular. I also think it's so real. Like, I think, again, I, we keep saying that over and over again, but, like, it's that nobody knows about other people's marriages. Right. You don't talk about, there's this, like, kind of, it's disloyal. Right. Yeah. Like, she feels disloyal talking about him. Um, there's moments where you realize everyone knows what she's going through, mm-hmm. right? Where it's kind of like. But he feels ugh. disloyal, too, right? Like, yeah. there's, I mean, the lavender is for loyalty, obviously. Right. 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 Because over the course of the eight years, there are so many moments where he could throw her to the wolves. Yeah. Right? And live the life that she's promised he can live. And instead, he protects her or he, you right. know, supports her they or he together, is her partner or, or like, right. and it just feels like, of course they're in love. <sighs> it's friends to lovers in the most intense way. And it, I, uh, it's so good. It's so good. It's a great, great book. It's, yeah. I'm really I, glad you liked it. I, uh, yeah, it, it, it killed me. I don't know. I mean, it really, can I ask you, okay, can I ask a question though? I have two questions for you. Yeah. Question number one is, after, at some point later, she says to him, I found you with, like, a gun pointed at your head. That's why I Oh, yeah. And he says, oh, it was a toy. Did you think it was a toy? Yes. Okay. I did have a moment where I was like, really? What a weird... But he answers really fast. Like, I I did have the hiccup. I stuttered there. And... I and I I netted out at oh this is like he answered so quickly there wasn't I don't know okay. I also feel like that's a big yeah right emotional like sure. thing to put on the page and like never deal with if right. and right, I think right. I almost feel like she put it on she clarified that it was a toy yeah. to make sure that you understood, reader, that right. we were not dealing with a person who was suicidal. Who's truly, yeah. Okay. I don't know. You you clearly didn't. I'm looking at your face, I, but... I don't know. I, I just spent a lot of time thinking about it. I was just like, in this decrepit, weird old cabin, why would there be a toy gun? 
And it doesn't really matter. I think ultimately he really was like destroying his life and she intervened and whatever, whatever like sort of prompted her to do that doesn't really matter. I just thought it was like a really interesting question. Okay. Here's question number two. Hmm. When Isabel comes back, has he slept with her? Ever? Yeah. No. When she, after she comes back. In like, off oh, meaning page. does he sleep with her off page? I thought about that too. I didn't care. Okay, this goes back to Derek and uh, what's her name? Yeah, right. Sure, and that's why I thought of it. Right, because I don't care. He, it's like he did. So who cares? Yeah. Right? right, like. This well, goes back to, like, it doesn't matter about the Mrs. Dorchester at the ball who he's sure. been sleeping with because, like, it doesn't the matter. emotional cheating is so much more important than yeah. the physical cheating. This bastard right? has loved this woman for eight years. Longer. Yeah, who cares? Who cares? I don't care right. if he's slept with her. Right. Okay. Do you care? Um. Do you think I, he did? I think he did, and I didn't care. Yeah. I. I mean, I guess he probably did. And I don't Right? Care. I mean, yeah. I just, it was like, there's like, it's so well established that her children were gone or whatever. And I was kind of like, well, why? And then what? I was like. Yeah, what are they doing? Yeah. And I don't know. Like, again, I was really fascinated by it because if, I, I'll be honest with you. I assume he did. And it made zero impact on him. I do think um, the meeting, you know what? Maybe you're right because I think you are probably right because I do think, and this goes back to that, this is the moment where I had a real Camilla Parker Bowles like Diana moment when she sends the letter saying, hey, we both know the score. Why don't you let me come visit you? Right? There's this great scene in The Crown season four where Camilla invites Diana to lunch. Mm-hmm. And they go to a restaurant. This is real. This is an actual fact event. <laughs> yeah. They go to a restaurant called Ménage à Trois. <laughs> right. Which I is, mean, yeah. I mean, bananas. But anyway, so, and and it's just clear in the moment, it's it's genius in the, in the show, too, where, like, right. she, you're flexing. She just knows him better than Diana does, right? Like, right. she knows him. And so I think, um, I, I think that she wouldn't have flexed. Right. If had she, had she have, not had him in her bed. Right. Yeah. Known for sure. I sealed the deal. Yeah. That it was going to happen. Yeah. But she got real nervous. So I don't know. Maybe she was so nervous because they didn't do it. Yeah. I don't, I don't know. I, I thought it Who was can really say? interesting. If you have an opinion. Yeah. Maybe I we'll put this was, up as our poll this week. Yeah. I just thought it was really fascinating because part of me is like, of course they did it. Right? But it's not on page and he doesn't think about it because, as I said, the emotional cheating is so much more devastating to Millie. Mm-hmm. But I found myself really thinking, like, it's such a fascinating um, omission. And, of course, it's on purpose. Right? Of course it's on purpose. Yeah. yeah. I was like, sure. They, Yeah, of course. I wonder if Sherry, too, though, is like, I don't care. It doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. But I I found myself really thinking about it because yeah. the Derek. Well, I go back to I think. Lisa saying that to me. Does it yeah. matter? Does it matter? No. No. Um. Anyway, I'm really glad you loved it. I hope, we hope everybody else loved it, too. Please let us know. We will put a poll up this week. You tell us what yep. you think about this uh, this this question. Did they or didn't they? Can I just say also, before we wrap up, uh, Sherry Thomas 
has written a really fantastic YA book if you have kids. If you're ever like, I want a YA kind of romance situation. Yes. It's a, ret- a Mulan retelling. And some of my students read it last year. And they loved it, all of them who read it. It's called The Magnolia Sword. And, of course, Sherry is now writing a mystery series with a Lady Sherlock. Lady and a- Sherlock. And again, people just love them. So, yes. although I hope I hope Sherry goes back to writing like kind of romance one day, her what she's writing now is so awesome and so fun. And if you love this book, or and you, there's so many great books for you to read mm-hmm. that she's still producing and in really interesting, fascinating ways. Yep, agreed. She's fabulous. Um, you know, I want to. This is going to end on a little bit of a sad note, but I just want to shout out. Um, that I'm really sad that Olympia Dukakis died. Oh, yeah. And we are uh, Moonstruck fans here at Faded Mates, yeah, as you all know. Best. A bride without a hand. A, a bride without a head. A wolf without a foot. <laughs> a bride without a, a head. A wolf without a foot. We'll put it in. Yeah. I know. Me too. Um, but she's the best. She was an American treasure. And RIP. Yeah. Olympia. Uh, we are Faded Mates. I'm Sarah McLean. I have a book coming out August 24th. I hope you will, uh, if you will, you will buy it if you like us and like me. Um, and uh, we are produced by Eric Mortensen. You can find us at FadedMates.net, where you can find all the music that we put in the episode, buttons and pins from Best Friend Kelly, transcripts for episodes. Don't forget that in season one, we did an entire season on Immortals After Dark. If you love a paranormal, head back there and do that. Um, and what else? Gear from Jordan next. Danae. And next yeah. week... Well, next read next time yeah <laughs> is it's called tangled lies by ann stewart it is out of it's not in kindle or it's not in e but it is an audio or you can find yourself a copy in like thrift books or you know used copy somewhere tangled lies this one by ann stewart <laughs> is wild 800 bananas says sarah brightest banana on the tree <laughs> all right have a great week we hope you read something great <laughs>